And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 165 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 165, that's the adjusted OPS for Willie Mays in 1962. That seems like a good omen. Ooh, that's good. Do you want to explain adjusted OPS and why that's good? Adjusted OPS, it's it's where you take a number and you make 100 the league average, and you adjust it for park, you adjust it for league, and you get a really good sense of, you know, Mays was 65% better than the average hitter in 1962. Um, I like it because it's a nice, simple, easy number that you can compare across years. I love adjusted OPS. I use it all the time. I think it's really funny how numbers are just kind of a different language. And just like you would speak to someone in different ways in English or Spanish, or even how you would like put things, uh, or you have idioms, you just have different ways of expressing things mathematically that just make sense in different ways to different people. And I, I, I love adjusted OPS because like you said, it's a nice shorthand. There are other things though that I don't like. And one of them, and I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, <laughs> I don't don't like the magic number. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, because t- to me, it's like, well, the magic number's four. Okay, that's fine. Any combination of Giants wins and Dodger losses that equal four mean that you clinch. But you also have to remember, well, remind me again, do they have 10 games to play? Four games to play? I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, it's one of those where you always have to have the denominator. So if, if you have to have that anyway, you might as well just say they're two up with seven to play or, or two up with six to play in this case. So I don't know. That's just me. I know that a lot of people love the magic number. Maybe it's just magical, but uh, I, 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 yeah, it doesn't, it's not something that I, I really pay attention to updating. I like the magic number when it's served to me on a platter. When someone <laughs> hands me the magic number, I go, oh, that's cool. I don't go seeking it out. I don't, you know, I certainly don't know how to calculate it with my English major brain. So like, I appreciate it when someone says, oh, the magic number is four. I go, oh, hey, yeah, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I don't go seeking it out. So, uh, but the Giants are, uh, Let's see, two games up with six to play. That seems good. Yeah, that's a good position to be in. I mean, it, it really is. They they were able to tack on uh, a game to their lead while playing a series in Coors Field. And uh, they, they, they had to take those two trips to Coors Field um, toward the end of the year. And there, no team had swept in Coors all year. And the Giants 
swept twice. They won six in a row. And, and Buster Posey is even in the handshake line, and he turns to Gabe Kapler. And Buster's played here a lot, you know. And he says, do you know how hard that was, what we just did? I mean, do you know how rare that is to win six games as Coors Field? I mean, really, we should just pop some champagne now. Let's 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 do it again, uh, one, one more round, because uh, that was huge. And then the Dodgers obviously dropped one. Uh, in in against the Diamondbacks and and that meant they they lost a game. That's got to be so frustrating for the Dodgers, right? Poor poor Dodgers. Uh, you you win two out of three and you lose ground. So um, yeah, now the Giants go home. They've got the Diamondbacks for three, including a Bumgarner game on Thursday, and then the final weekend against the Padres. And I don't know how many they're going to have to win. If they win five, then there's nothing the Dodgers can do. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, I'm writing about it right now, just what they did at Coors Field and how much of a brain breaker that was. They didn't just win six games in a row. And as far as I can tell, I haven't uh, double checked it, but the longest winning streak at Coors Field before this at all, between uh, two seasons even, was uh, five. So this is the longest winning streak at Coors Field. It came... Uh, in September. It came in September when they desperately needed it, and they outscored the Rockies 49-18 to in those six games. They obliterated them. They averaged three runs allowed per game, which is like good for Oracle Park in 2011. That's a good runs allowed average. In Coors Field in September, when you desperately need every last one of those games, it's just absolutely gobsmacking. And I, I would be curious, and maybe I'll challenge you to look this one up if you feel so inclined, um, just how much they out-homered the Rockies by. Because mm. we know that's been one of the biggest, biggest advantages on paper they've had over their opponents is runs scored on home runs and hit and runs scored on home runs allowed. And at least at one point in that Rockies series, I think is after the first game, it was, they were at plus 150 in terms of runs uh, that they've scored on home runs versus runs allowed on home runs. And that's a run a game. And and they kind of kept it up in a ballpark where you have to keep the ball in the ballpark. And, you know, their relievers just, I mean, <laughs> before Kevin Gossman pitched six innings, they had four innings pitched from each of their five starting pitchers the previous five days. And you think there's no way you're going to survive in cores with short starts with a bullpen that's being used that much. And, man, they just, nobody coughed it up. They just, nobody dropped the baton for that whole series at Coors Field, which is really hard to do. It's just so surprising in so many different ways, but it feels like the Giants, as uh, presently constructed, that they might be a team that is constructed to win at Coors Field. Specifically, they hit home runs, and they will bend without breaking when it comes to allowing home runs. They are willing to uh, walk a player rather than throw a meatball down the middle. They just don't allow a ton of home runs. That makes it seem like this is a team that could, if they had to play 81 games at Coors Field as their home ballpark, they would be successful in those 81 games. And Jeff Breidich is somewhere taking notes and saying, darn, if I only knew that then. Um, (laughs) My life would be so much different. I would be with the smartest guy in the room like I thought I was. Um, Yeah, it's the Rockies have been trying like forever to try to, you know, I mean, then they do win games at Coors Field. They, 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 they won games at Coors Field this year. Their problem has been winning on the road. But, yeah, I think you're right. It's uh, the Giants are very much built uh, to be successful in that kind of environment. And they also have been successful in one-run games. They've been successful in games where they've had to win with a home run. They've been successful in bullpen games. It's just when you can follow so many scripts to, to, to a win, it just opens an opportunity for you and increases your probability of winning on a daily basis, no matter what shape the game takes. It's just such a good position to be in as an organization. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, before the season starts, Baseball Prospectus runs, I think, 10,000 simulations. Uh, might even be more. Might be 100,000 simulations. But they, they do this, and that's how one of the ways they get their Pocoto projections. And I don't think out of all of those uh, simulations that there was one single outlier that had the Giants to 100 wins. They were the first team to 100 wins. Now they have 102 wins, and they're getting greedy. Like, they can really get, they can run that total up and do some historic things for the franchise. So you're telling me that they ran over 100,000 simulations and not one of them had the Giants winning 100 games? That's what uh, Craig Goldstein on Twitter said, or, or he hinted at, that it was uh, breaking their 100th, 100th percentile outcome for the Giants. Um, I need to double check, follow up with that, but he was making it seem like, yeah, this is off the charts. This breaks uh, Pakoda's brain. So basically, they've kind of broken the projection systems, or there's something that they are doing that none of the projection systems have taken into account or have valued or have inputs for. I, I, I'm... I think I have some idea of what some of those things might be, but what what would if you were to take a stab at it, what would you say? I think a lot of projection systems are rooted in the past. Like back in the day when this is all that we had and we have past performance to predict future performance. And that's a good model for a lot of things, but it doesn't help when teams are in the business of making players better, taking the raw talent and doing stuff that isn't going to show up in those stats, just saying, do this, do this well, forget about that, and you'll get better. And the Giants, I mean, you've seen it. Farhan's been doing this for a while with Justin Turner and Chris Taylor. Now he's doing it with the Giants, and that kind of screws up projection systems. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of defines what it means to be on the cutting edge or bleeding edge or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that, that's clearly what the Giants are doing. They're, they're out in front. You know, and they're they're taking players from other good organizations too. I mean, like a, a Tyro Estrada from the Yankees, you know, uh, and 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 they're plugging them in and, and using them as depth pieces. And I, it really is. Uh, I was talking to a scout um, uh, during the game yesterday, and uh, basically his take on it was that you know a lot of teams are just sort of have their guys and they roll out their guys and you stick with them through thick and thin and maybe you're paying them a lot so you're obligated to play them every day or maybe there's someone that you know you don't have the overall depth in your system but you have you know someone who was touted as an everyday player prospect that you've brought up and uh and that means you're throwing a lot of of bad at bats away you know if you're rolling through somebody when they're struggling whereas um and you're also maybe burning them out you know whether it's through you know them trying to figure their way out through a slump or, or being physically worn down and you can see what 
you know, missing 45 games has done for Brandon Belt. You can see what, you know, uh, some of the stints on the IL have done for some of their older players. You can see what, you know, diligently resting Buster Posey every third day has done uh, to help his performance uh, throughout the season. And the Giants just rely on so much depth to, and, and it becomes a luxury because they don't have to overtax anyone and they just have strength in numbers. I mean, when I was going through what they've done at first base this year, it blew my mind. I mean, 48 home runs was the most home runs that any team has gotten out of any position on the field. You know, we talk about how they've set the franchise home run record, but don't have anyone who's hit 30. Well, if you look at it positionally, it makes a little more sense. They've got 48 home runs out of their first baseman. And that's because when Lamont Wade Jr. and Darren Ruff have played first base, they've posted a higher OPS at that position than Brandon Belt has, which is really hard to do because Brandon Belt has been one of the best hitters in baseball for the last two years. So it's just a, it's just a whole different way to think about how are we going to invest every plate appearance, every inning, and make sure we're investing them in the person who can give us the most quality. And it, yeah, it's it's they're very, very, very well managed. So do you think that the baseball gods called for the hit-by-pitch on Brandon Belt because he was at 29 home runs, or are they just being jerks? Well, probably both. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and it's funny, there is a subset of Giants fans who were so, so upset that Belt didn't bunt in San Diego, <laughs> you know, when he's up in the, what was it, the, the 10th inning with runners yeah. at first and second. And it's like, no, he should have he swung away because he he's one of the best hitters in baseball. That's what you do with no outs. So when he does square to bunt to try to, you know, advance a runner, uh, and sees an opportunity uh, to be sneaky. And by the way, I think that he had probably a second motivation, and that is all the scouts that are following the Giants right now are all the teams that might play them in the playoffs, and you mm. want them to jot that down. Mm. You definitely, and, and I, Mikey Stremski, I think, is doing the same thing. I think there's some intent there to, to put that in the minds of some scouts so they can adjust how uh, how they're defended a little bit in the postseason. I really do believe that uh, you know, that's not some like a um, you know ninja mind trick. I, I really think that that was a motivation. And and so the pitch was you know right inside and and, and it hit him on the thumb or, or the pad of the thumb or wherever on the on the hand near the wrist and and he's going for X rays and we don't know as of this recording what those X ray results are. But he's telling he's telling Brandon Crawford and other teammates that he thinks he'll be okay. So yeah, uh, pour a little out for Brandon Belt today. I just figured oh he's gonna get thirty like an idiot and then. Like thunder rumbles in the distance, and I don't, you know, poor Brandon Belt. It took him so long to get to uh, 20, and finally he's got his 20th home run, and hooray! You know, the long national nightmare is over, and then he's got uh, greedy designs on 30, and it's like, oh man, Icarus. Stay far from the sun, but he couldn't. He couldn't help it, and I don't. You know, he was on such a roll, and you know, with uh, any good fortune, he'll continue to be on one of those rolls. Yeah, well, you know, one of my favorite stats is that since he came back from his knee injury, and that was, you know, in what early August, uh, he's hit 18 home runs. That's the most he'd ever hit in a season, and he's got him <laughs> in about 150 some odd at bats. So, I mean, that's how locked in he's been. And and the other one that blew me away is his home run to at bat ratio is just behind Fernando Tatis Jr. and just ahead of Shohei Otani. For <laughs> goodness gracious, I mean, you got to be kidding me. That's how good Brandon Belt's been this year. And if you ask him, uh, he's not just uh, a better power hitter, hitter than Otani; he's a better pitcher. I mean, I'm sure uh, yeah. if you ask him. <laughs> and a better base runner and a better everything. But yeah, he, you know, even before he got hurt in, in the, the game on Sunday, he, he hits a blooper. It, it falls in between second and, and, and center. And he busts it for second base and he makes it. It was a great play. And then he gets a um, 
a, a good jump on a two-out hit and scores from from second base. And and he's even contributing on the base paths too. I mean, just a guy who has been contributing in every facet. We know he's a great defensive first baseman. It would be a huge loss if if uh, if this X-ray comes back with some bad news. So, um, but you know what? The Giants filled in for him before, and I, I'm sure that they did. You know, they they wouldn't panic if they had to fill in for him again. It didn't Gabe Kapler say uh, when he was explaining one of his decisions that he kept Belt out there as the runner that, uh, you know what? Yes, he's not the fleetest of foot, but he is a great base runner. And that factored into my decision. Yeah, he did. And he also thought that, you know, he had Austin Slater on his bench in San Diego um, when he had Belt uh, on base there in in the late innings. And, uh, you know, his, this is a guy who's got 15 steals out of 17 tries, who's a really, really good base runner. And he thought, but you know what? The belt's really good, and I'll still have his defense out there. And that was the game where Manny Machado hit the 112-mile-an-hour double play ground ball, that incredible double play that they turned to end the game and win in San Diego. And no other first baseman on the roster makes that play. So Gabe Kepler clearly pushing the right buttons and choosing when not to push the wrong button. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Giants now have a franchise record uh, in home runs with 236. Uh, That is, like, I think we've gotten used to it a little bit and and taken it for granted. Um, It is, let's see, exact, no, not quite uh, double the amount of home runs they were getting, like, in 2018, 2017. It's more than twice as many as they had in 2012 or 2013. Like, they're hitting home runs almost twice as much as you expect them to, as you're used to them. For a 
a decade, they would hit about half as many home runs. And when you see that total, 237 home runs, it's, I think we're, I'm used to it now. It's like, oh yeah, they're a power hitting team, but it's like, maybe we should take a step back and appreciate just how much of a brain breaker that is. Yeah. And one of my favorite little uh, wrinkles in that is that they have 17 different players who have hit five home runs. That's the most of any team in major league history. No one's ever done that before. So that's how deep they go. And that's how many power threats they have, especially off the bench. 17 pinch homers ties the major league record. You know, we talked about first base. Uh, you have little Donovan Solano can pop one out of the ballpark. I mean, they, they really uh, do have an approach, um, you know, that, uh, Justin Vili, Don Ecker, these guys have, have uh, Dustin Lind, have, have given them. And they have a plan in place, and they've been very, very good about sticking to their plan. I think they get great information about opposing pitchers. And, um, you know, it's not like that there's a ton of swing and miss either. I mean, they're disciplined at bats. They're, they're not, it's not, uh, you know, they're not all Adam Dunn's out there. Uh, they're, they're complete baseball players, and, and, uh, and yet everyone is a power threat. It's just, I mean, you couldn't dream up a better offensive situation, and you couldn't really think of a more, you know, dangerous team to face because there isn't a break in their lineup where you can kind of ease up and, 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 you know, kind of, you know, throw a get-ahead pitch in there. Mike Talkman uh, has four home runs. That is a shame. He could have been the 18th. Jason Vossler has three, uh, but they could have had 19, you know, with just a little of good bounce, a good, little bit of good fortune here and there. They could have had 19 players uh, with five more homers. But yeah, it's up and down the lineup. Now you've got La Stella. Uh, he's starting to, to look like he is... Uh, hitting his stride at the right time. He's given them leadoff power in, in some situations. He's starting to give them much better at bats. Uh, his uh, on-base percentage, his OPS is now up to 729, which if you were back you know, a month ago, that would have seemed like a dream. So it, the whole lineup is starting to click at the right time. Yeah, and and, and the, the more that you have people clicking, the more they can help you off the bench too. And it's funny, Jason Fossler, even when he had four at-bats as a first baseman, one of them was a home run. So he is also <laughs> out OPSing Brandon Belt at first base. But uh, I, I think Mike Talkman should get credited for five. I mean, when you rob a home run, it's almost like you have a it's home a run plus minus, right? It's just math, right? Yeah. It's, it's the it's, transitive it's math. property, the, the formulative property of, I don't know. It's one of those properties of mathematics, darn it. Yeah, it's, I, I believe it's called the the Pujols equation. <laughs> the <laughs> that is a catchy name. I will give you that. Um, the Diamondbacks, they won a game against the Dodgers and uh, bless them for that. Uh, at the same time, like the Giants can't take them lightly uh, just because I, it, I don't know. I, I, my brain works to where I see a team that comes in. They are 20 and 58 on the road. That's a 256 winning percentage on the road. They're coming into Oracle Park and my broken brain says, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, 50, right? it's, 50 and 106, right? Yeah, I'm one of those sickos that looks at that and goes, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> train, train to look for the, the negative. Um, yeah, let's look at the Diamondbacks here. Let's see what they've done against opponents. And, oh, what, you know, so they've been 7 and 9 against the Rockies. So those have been some very nice, tight affairs. But 3 and 16 against the Dodgers, 2 and 14 against the Giants. Sheesh. I mean... <sighs> 30 losses against two division opponents. That is just nuts when you think about it. Um, and then I go back to think about, you know, early in the season, um, maybe it was August when uh, the Giants went to, to New York and the Mets had that run where the Mets had to play the Dodgers-Giants, Dodgers-Giants all in a row, home and road. And <laughs> yeah. they just got absolutely boat raced. And that was their season, basically. So the Giants and, and Dodgers have, have really just 
kind of been a wood chipper to a few teams this year. It's it's unfair. Like you look at what the Rockies have done against most teams. They're three and four against the Braves. They're five and one against the Reds. You know they they've kind of held their own against a lot of teams. But when you have divisional rivals, uh, you're going to see 19 times a year. Uh, those teams prepare for you in a much different way than say uh, the Cardinals or say you know the the Pirates. The Giants and Dodgers are prepared for every last thing that the Diamondbacks are going to throw at them and there just aren't that many surprises and sometimes that's good like you'll have those those seasons where the Giants aren't very good but they still match up with the Dodgers still give them tough games because they prepare so much so diligently for the Dodgers but sometimes it can just go in the opposite direction if those teams have enough of an edge enough of a front office edge uh, it's pretty tough. Yeah, and you know it's been a tough year for Arizona. I mean, Mike Hazen going through what he's gone through with his personal situation and his wife, you know, battling cancer, and he's had to step away from the team. and And I, I think that they kind of acknowledged that. Look, this is just a, a waste of a year, but in a lot of ways, it, it isn't a reflection of where we think we're going as an organization because they re-up Tori Lavolo, um, and and yeah, he's made some sort of weird moves as a manager. But I, I think that there's still. Uh, that's a good indication that they've got you know faith in him and, and, and that maybe that this was just a weird year and they don't feel like they have to necessarily scrap it and start all over again. They still have some good players. I mean, Kettle Marte is a good player. He really is. And I'm not just saying that because he's on my fantasy team. Um, <laughs> but sh- should we talk about uh, pitching and aligning pitching and pitching probables and pitching uh, potential uh scenarios, especially in different playoff permutations. Absolutely. And here's why. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I will reiterate that I am a, an idiot when it comes to uh, who is pitching for the Giants coming up. It's jersey numbers and uh, <laughs> which pitchers are lined up. So please tell me which pitchers are lined up. Tell me how you would do it and let me job some, uh, jot some crib notes down. Okay, so you've got, um, well, first of all, the Diamondbacks are throwing Luke Weaver, followed by Merrill Kelly, who's been very good against the Giants this year, hmm. followed by a left-hander named Mason Saunders, it says here. Oh, that's Madison Bumgarner. Right. That one first, I knew. <laughs> first time that, that Madison Bumgarner will pitch in front of actual living, breathing, not made of, of recycled cardboard fans at uh, Oracle Park. And we know we got a little a little wave and ovation when uh, you know he was there in a non-pitching capacity the last time Diamondbacks were in town. So I, I'd imagine it's going to be uh, you know, pretty pretty darn emotional. The, the ballpark's going to be pretty revved up, and, and he's, he is competitive. He is not going to do the Giants any favors, as much as I'm sure he would deep down rather have the Giants win the division over the Dodgers. If you have to choose between his sympathies for you know Buster Posey and all his buddies versus him staring at a major league hitter in the box, he's going to pick getting that hitter out every time. And if, if yep. you don't, if you don't, if, if you waver on that, then you just don't know Madison Bumgarner. So that that's going to be, I would say, a lot of fun. But it, the timing is really crappy for the Giants. Yes. Um, and 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 they do need to keep winning games because if they can maintain a multiple game edge and they can know. Uh, going into, you know, maybe the final series of the season that they have the division, you know, more or less wrapped up. And it's hard to say that they will, right? Because you don't fact figure on the Dodgers losing a lot. But that could do, allow them to do some things because they have, um, they're going to have Logan Webb opposing Weaver on Tuesday, Alex Wood opposing Kelly on Wednesday. And then they're, they're undecided right now, but um, the current lean is for it to be Scott Kazmir uh, against uh, Bumgarner. And um, there are still some things that they could do. Um, but then they've got another day off uh, because they had the day off on Monday. They have some options for what they can do on Friday against the Padres. And one of them, and what they're probably going to do, is move up Kevin Gossman so he would pitch on regular rest on the Friday. 
and that would be important because that would allow him to pitch on regular rest in a following Wednesday, October 6th wildcard game. So he would be your wildcard starter. But if they feel like they've got the division well in hand, or at least you know they, they feel more confident about it, then they could give Gosman the extra day of rest and throw him on the Saturday. Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of the division, uh, they need to win every game they can anyway. So whether Gosman throws on Friday or Saturday doesn't really matter so much. But if he, they give him the extra day of rest and throw him on the Saturday, then that would mean, you know, he'd have to go on short rest, which they wouldn't do uh, in the wildcard game. So it's pretty important. I think they will give themselves more options if they can maintain or even expand on this division lead that they've got coming up. And then Webb would be lined up for game 162, um, you know, if if they need to win it to, to, to win the division. Um, and then that would mean that Alex Wood would be lined up for a potential game 163 tiebreaker if we get there. Can we just stop and rewind a second to the idea of Scott Kazmir versus <laughs> Madison Bumgarner <laughs> right. in, in the year of our maze 2021 that we're talking about the Giants going for like their 104th or win or whatever with Scott Kazmir on the mound against Madison Bumgarner. That might be the number one thing I would want to email myself back in 2018 and just say, <laughs> what do you think about this? Just a what? Yeah, and you know, the Diamondbacks, uh, it, it may line up better for them to use an opener uh, against them. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I think I'd have to look at their season splits to see what they're doing against left-handed pitching. Um, but, uh, uh, oh, here we go, batting splits. I will look that up if you if you have another... Do you have... Grant, do you have another talking point you would like to... Another talking point? Well, yeah. I will just point out that Scott Kazmir uh, is sort of an opener. And so you think of him as like the starting pitcher and like you have that in your head, but he's basically an opener. He's, you know, he can give you more innings than Dominic Leone or Jay Jackson or, or someone like that. But in essence, that's the role he's filling. You're not expecting him to go five innings, six innings. Uh, maybe he can go four. I mean, he pitched so well last time that that's... That was just a gravy, I think. But in general, he's going to be more of an opener than a starter. Uh, you did very well and also made a good point, I think. And uh, yes, as I suspected, the Diamondbacks have been pretty good against uh, left-handed pitching. Uh, they have a 746 OPS versus 664 against right-handed pitching, uh, 227 average against righties, 254 against lefties. So there may be some hesitation to expose Casimir, and they may want to try to empty out the their right-handers and maybe even, I don't know, make it a bullpen game or something. So clearly they've got some thoughts in mind. And you know what? We don't know where Johnny Cueto is at at all. I mean, he's, uh, he's thrown the one game for Sacramento. Maybe they could use Cueto just for a couple of innings. Uh, uh, potentially. And they probably need to gauge where he's at for a postseason roster too. So that could serve a couple purposes. And it, it, clearly they're batting some ideas around, but we know who's getting the ball on the other side and that's Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. And you know, when you have Kervin Castro and he's a, a starter, he's a former starter. The reason he was converted to a relief in large part was because they had to put him on the 40-man roster to keep him away from the Rule 5 draft. And they figured, well, once he's on the 40-man roster, the quickest way he's going to get to the big leagues and be useful on that roster is as a reliever. But he's, I mean, you know, he's a he's a thick, sturdy dude, and he looks like he can give you uh, multiple innings. So that could be a possibility as well. Yeah, I saw someone mentioned on Twitter that it was either... Dwayne Kuyper or Mike Kruko? Boy, this is apocryphal. Someone mentioned on Twitter that one of the Giants broadcasters um, threw out a comp to use Mero Petit. And uh, he's not quite as tall as Petit, 
but uh, and maybe it's because of the body type a little bit, or maybe it's because he's just really around the strike zone a lot with three different pitches. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of see that a little bit, and he, I think he may have the potential to throw even a little harder uh, than Petit did. And hey, he was a good guy to have around, so that's that's not bad. Yeah, we've been looking for that bulk innings guy, and maybe Alex Wood, maybe Quaid. You know, we're trying to figure out who might be that guy in the postseason. Maybe it's Kervin Castro because he's listed at six foot tall, one eighty five, and I'm calling shenanigans <laughs> on some of that. Like he's built like a fridge. You know what I mean? Like he is like a like a Yeti cooler uh, stood up on its side. Like he is just a big, stocky, powerful dude. Like he comes in and he looks different. And I think Petit was he had a look like that too. But if you can get bulk innings from someone who is uh, maybe a little bit different look than a lot of the Giants' bullpen offers. Uh, he, I mean, you said to me in a private Slack message that you, he's on the roster, right? The postseason roster? I mean, that's the way that they they were talking about it. I mean, Kevin Gossman said that, you know, these guys should be on the postseason roster. Um, you know, I think very clearly, uh, you know, Gabe Kapler views them as two of his best right-handed options at this point, along with Leon. And, you know, that may mean that a Zach Littell gets left off, or that may, Oof. you know, it's going to be tough. It's, they're going to have, Jay Jackson is is uh, is not on the roster right now, so you know he probably is not uh, one of the primary choices. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, look, they they thought that these two guys and Gregory Santos too uh, before you know he, he had the 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 PED suspension. They thought these guys were going to help them this year, and they knew they wouldn't be ready to start the year, and they knew there would be some development at AAA they'd have to go through, and probably some lumps they'd have to take in the big leagues too. And they introduced Doval into some you know pretty tough situations earlier in the year, and some of them were just magical, and other ones blew up. But all of that was part of getting him ready for this moment and this situation. And so, you know, granted, he's a young player. Consistency is... is how you stay in this game, you you he's going to have to keep doing it, right? Uh, you can't just be great every third time out or every second time out or even two out of three times out. You got to be great, you know, uh, like eight times, nine times out of ten when you're a reliever. But you know that he's got to prove that. But he, they were getting him ready for this moment, and uh, and clearly he looks way more prepared for it uh, than he had been earlier this year. So kudos to the Giants development group, uh, their minor league pitching group, everybody who's involved in sort of getting these guys ready for this moment because they have choices, and that's a great thing. Yeah, if you're talking about in the abstract, should the Giants have Camilo Duvall and, and Kervin Castor on the postseason roster, there are a lot of reasons to say yes, of course, sure, that's that makes a ton of sense. They're both throwing so well, but if you do that, you might have to have two, two pitchers who have a sub three ERA, who have been there all season, not on the postseason roster. That is such wild depth to think about that you have a guy like Zach Littell who has been, you know, nails in so many clutch situations. He's got a 2.88 ERA. He's like got this cult hero where he comes into a, a situation where it seems like the Giants have no chance and then he gives them, uh, whether it's bulk innings or he gets them out of a pickle. Like, you have a guy like that and you can look and say, well, his FIP is over four. Yeah, I don't think he, maybe not the best bet going forward in October. Man, that's... That stinks, but it's also like the great kind of stink. Yeah, it is the great kind of stink. <laughs> okay, since we're almost at time, I I, I want to get you on the record here. So uh, looking oh. at, at the other side of the coin, uh, at Dodger Stadium, the Padres will be playing concurrently uh, at Dodger Stadium while the Giants are playing the Diamondbacks. And you've got you Darvish versus Walker Bueller on Tuesday. You've got... Uh, oh, what does it say here? Undecided versus Max Scherzer. Oh, I'm sure that that will go well. And then you've got undecided versus Tony Gonsolin uh, on Thursday. So knowing what the Dodgers have in front of them, um, how many 
games do you think the Giants will have to win out of these final six to win the division? To win the division outright, they will need to win uh, five. I mean, like, honestly, I'm not expecting the Dodgers to lose uh, a single game against the Padres or the Brewers. The Padres are so screwed up. And like you said, undecided versus Max Scherzer. Come on. Uh, the Brewers are, you know, they're, they're not a pushover, of course. They're a, a division winner. But they are trying to line themselves up for the postseason. They're not going to be throwing Devin Williams out there for two innings. And they're not going to, you know, bring out Josh Hader and, and overextend him because they desperately want to win the game. They're not going to pitch Corbin Burns and let him go 110 pitches. You know, they're just going to take it easy on all their guys. And you can't take it easy on the Dodgers. So I'm anticipating the Dodgers run the table. And if the Giants want to win the division outright, they have to pretty much do the same. Okay, I'm going to say I'm going to say four. And I, I was even tempted to say three because I do think the Brewers are going to be thorny. I, I They are going mm. to throw all of their good pitchers, you know, they, they're not going to start their NLDS until the following Friday. So it's not like they're going to shut down, you know, Burns and Woodruff. Those guys need to stay on schedule. And you're right. They're going to be on managed pitch counts. They're not going to be overextended. But I, I, I think that the Brewers see the advantage in knocking the Dodgers into the wildcard game. And, and maybe the Cardinals do their devil magic. And and, uh, uh, and, and, and you've got the Dodgers out of the picture. And th- that's no slight at all on the Giants. Uh, thinking that they'd rather face the Giants than the Dodgers in a potential NLCS. I don't think that that's a slight on the Giants at all. But, I mean, come on. Max Scherzer, Walker Buehler, um, uh, Urias, I mean, you don't want to face those pitchers. And and maybe you look at Webb and Gosman and you think, okay, these are these are guys who are also pitching great. Uh, they, they're a tough staff. They're a really tough team to face. But the Brewers played the Giants pretty well in, in the in the regular season. And uh, I, I wouldn't I would say that they should be motivated to try to, to knock the Dodgers into that wild card game and maybe you know, have the Cardinals clean them up. And then that's one uh, that's the, that's the sort of the way you, you slay the dragon. It is uh, fascinating. And uh, a little uh, ghoulish to me to think that the Giants might win 105, 106 games. And their reward for that is to face Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in a (laughs) one-game do-or-die playoff. That is... Man, I think that's the only way to come out of 2020 is to have that be the outcome. I mean, however it turns out, this is one of the best divisional races since division play began in 1969. And I think I think we are appreciating it as we go along. But let's make sure we stop and appreciate it this week, too, because you know we've seen the Giants win World Series. And there's no question that they're all motivated to, to, to go all the way and win the World Series. But in terms of fan experiences, to 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 deprive one of the all-time greatest teams ever assembled uh, a division championship and break the Dodgers' string of eight straight division titles, that to me is just a massive, massive accomplishment, and may even be a more impressive accomplishment than winning the World Series. And, and maybe I'm I'm sort of weird for thinking that, but I don't know. I, I just think it's this is going to be one heck of a final week. Yeah. I am with you. All right. This has been episode 165 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday and we will know if the Giants took care of business against the Diamondbacks. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you then.